Okay. <clears throat> let's um, let's go ahead and start start with prayer. We'll just see how far we get tonight. One thing I do want to do is uh, get through this. The Nicene Creed will will stall it off for a few minutes because we want to deal with the the big heresy that brought about the Nicene Creed and that the Nicene Creed was a response to. So, okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening, the chance to be here. And <clears throat> once again, I pray that you would help us as we look at your hand in history and the way you worked in your church and the actually amazing fact that we have a church today, given all that went on. So we're grateful, Lord, for how you have guided through the millennia. Bless us now then, we pray, as we study these things and, and learn from them. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we ended last week um, with the end of persecution and Constantine becoming the emperor um, and the church not being officially um, <clears throat> the state church, but it was tolerated, permitted. Um, it was treated initially equal with every other religion, which all other religions were left alone. So in other words, it was elevated to um, one among many and freedom of conscience to practice whatever you wanted to. That was in about 313. Um, <clears throat> now, once that happened, I mentioned that a lot of people flooded into the church and the church began to be a little more um, thin because it cost uh, very little to be a Christian as it, how much it cost was a lot during the persecutions. And so made it easier to be a Christian and the fact that the emperor was a Christian, it made it the popular thing to do. And we know um, what I've already mentioned, but we know just in general the principle that when cost is little, um, numbers rise, and um, but practice of true Christianity gets lax. That all <clears throat> occurred, and something that was also going on, I didn't mention much last week, was um, rise in power and influence of the bishops, okay? Um, you have to have organization, but I was talking to somebody today about things completely different talking about our just our country in a in a general sense all that's going on in the country um, and i i made the statement which is really a profound statement i want everybody to know that um, <clears throat> you cannot trust power in the hands of fallen humans sinful humans i don't mean just affected by the fall Christians are flawed, but sinful humans cannot be given power because they always 
abuse it. It always goes to their heads. And in this case, unfortunately, um, and I don't want to be the kind of person here teaching you about church history and, and in any way doing what history teachers today do regarding American history. Anybody that seems to be a hero, founding father, or whatever else, they do their best to tear them down and, um, you know, torpedo their reputation and they were rats and whatever. Um, I don't want to sound like that, but tragically, um, power among the bishops and the bishops were those in charge of the larger cities. And wherever there was a bigger city, of course, Rome, Alexandria, which was down in Egypt, Antioch, which was the site of the first real Gentile church, which is over in northern Syria, um, Constantinople, which today is Istanbul, that also became a major city and thus the bishop over the, all the churches in that city became more powerful. Um, and unfortunately, they kind of liked it. And so then you set up, there were really, and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but there were really four main rival bishops. Rome, Alexandria, Constantinople, or a place very near it called Nicomedia, but I'll get to that in a minute, and Antioch, okay? So these four would bicker with each other, try to out-influence each other, or line up. Usually Rome and Alexandria would line up against um, Constantinople and Antioch. That was east versus west, okay? And even there, in the 300s, you have the beginning of what became the East-West Schism that did not occur until the 1000s, okay? 10, I can't remember, 43 or somewhere in there. Um, but East and West began to drift apart um, 700 years before they ended up becoming what we call today the Eastern Orthodox Church, whose um, and by the way, they also, they also, the bigger they got, uh, these bishops, they dumped the word bishop and assumed the word patriarch, okay? And then it was a short leap for the patriarch of Rome to assume the name Pope, okay? Um, so anyway, when you have persecution stopped, acceptance basically of Christianity and exploding popularity of Christianity, then um, it hurt the church. Um, and people began to grow worldly. Pretty normal pattern. Um, <clears throat> along with that, something just about as deadly or that helped contribute to it was the um, increasing, we could say, uh, merging of s church and state. Um, now, that sets the um, kind of the setting, gives us a setting, for the first big um, 
major heresy. Now, Gnosticism, which was even in the New Testament, we see Paul wrote against it, John wrote against it. That was a bad one. That was a very threatening one. But the other um, heresies were not unimportant, but the next biggie was um, called Arianism, A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M, after a guy named Arius, okay? This didn't come up until after Constantine became emperor after the 313 AD Edict of Toleration, it was called. Um, in about 316, in Alexandria, there was a bishop there, and his name, um, uh, I, think his, I think it was Andrew, but at any rate, um, a kind of a sub-pastor, an assistant pastor, whoever, Arius, um, came up with the, a new doctrine about Jesus. Remember the two main issues that drove um, the heresies for probably the first four or five hundred years were the doctrine of the Trinity, trying to get that hammered out, and Christology. Who, how do you explain the incarnation? How do you explain fully, totally, completely human, fully, totally, completely God? Um, let me just say here, some people, um, we make efforts, but they're, fa they're, they're failing efforts to try to explain the Trinity. Um, a couple that I've heard of, well, three I've heard of. One of them um, is an apple. The apple has skin on it. It has the, whatever, what do you call the apple, you know? Then it's got the seeds in it. Okay, those are three things, but it's one apple, okay? Second one is an egg. Shell, white, yolk but it's all an egg. Third, water. It exists fluid, vapor, solid with ice, okay? Now, everyone, you know, <laughs> um, you hear those, they couldn't be further off. There is no way to, re there is no way to illustrate the Trinity. There just isn't. It's in the Bible, it's everywhere, it's very plain but we can't fully grasp it. Now, why are those illustrations wrong? Because the yolk of an egg at the same time is not the white and the, the shell. It doesn't work. Water, yes, it can be a, f a fluid, a vapor, and a solid, but not all three at the same time. There is no illustration for it. Um, and we have to just recognize that there's some things that God has um, put there. And here's the term that we use. It is not, I'm not saying super, it's supra, S-U-P-R-A. It's supra reasonable. It means it's not unreasonable at all. But it's above our ability to reason. We can't grasp it. Um, 
there's certain things obviously in the nature of God that are shrouded in mystery and he's infinite and I'm finite there is no way that finiteness can ever grasp infinity even when we're in heaven we're never going to be able even in heaven we'll be finite but God's infinite so we'll never be able to plumb the depths of God so we just have to there's some things we trust and we go on now um, so those were the things that people were arguing over and I think one thing we have to say um, people that were people that were heretics and um, were thrown out of the church and usually they were banished to the desert or they did something to them um, that back then they weren't yet necessarily immediately going to burn them at the stake it was usually you send them to the desert um, exile them but they weren't necessarily wicked people because they thought incorrectly and came up with some doctrines that carried out to their ultimate um, conclusion were bad doctrines it didn't mean that they started out as evil people but usually confronted with a good wall of opposition from lots of different ministers bishops and so forth they dug their heels in and then usually they would start their own church um, after they'd get thrown out and some of these heretics and their followers lasted centuries um, it, they weren't ever settled really um, though they tried to in what they called councils church councils okay so the first one is this one Arius, and he came up with the idea trying to explain who Jesus really was he essentially denied um, well he denied the deity of Christ Jesus is not fully God um, and in doing so of course he denied the Trinity but he taught that Jesus was um, the first and highest of the creations um, created by God the Father and the first creative act of God the Father before he created heaven and earth and all that was he created Jesus and <clears throat> so Jesus is not divine he is the highest of all creation but he's not God and of course you you have desperate problems um, because Jesus said he was God that creates kind of a problem um, that one was I guess you could say a little easier of a heresy to pinpoint I mean you can't you can't go there so um, this started about 316 by 318 in Alexandria the bishop there um, threw him out he had a conference in um, Alexandria and the local pastors and you know authorities in the church in the Alexandria Egypt area kind of held a trial 
and they found him not teaching the Bible. And so they, they exiled him. Well, one of the guys that was um, not necessarily the main um, orthodox, everybody know what the word orthodox means, by the way, and you're not dumb if you don't. The word orthodox just means um, true, um, authoritative, correct doctrine. Someone is an orthodox Christian, regardless, personally, regardless it could be of maybe wh whether they're Catholic or Presbyterian or whoever they are, they can be orthodox if they believe all of the main doctrines of Christianity, okay? Um, cults are a doctor, or cults are groups that depart on one or more orthodox Christian doctrines. So therefore, we consider them heresies, okay? Because they're not orthodox. Orthodox is a term too, applies to Orthodox Democrat, Orthodox Republican, Orthodox National League versus American League Baseball. Um, so it's a generic term. Um, but these guys often started out just misguided, meaning well, but usually didn't receive instruction, stuck to their guns, dug their heels in, fought, and started, ended up producing some kind of a division. Okay? Arius then was called on the carpet, and he was kicked out of the church in Alexandria. Okay? Now, let me just back up a few years. For a couple reasons which you don't even need to go into really. Constantine became emperor of Rome, and of course this, the throne or whatever is in Rome. Well, a lot of the enemies that Constantine faced um, as the sole Roman em emperor came from the east, okay? Um, either east or northeast. So he got the idea to, in fact, his, the guy ahead of him had kind of started this, but he moved the, the capital from Rome. It was c kind of decaying anyway, but he moved from Rome to what he called then um, Byzantium, which became Constantinople, which became Istanbul, okay? Um, actually, the actual palace was located a little ways away from there in a place called Nicomedia, okay? But in that area, okay? Um, so Constantine ends up moving. He doesn't live in Rome anymore. He's over in near uh, what later was named Constantinople. <clears throat> well, Alexandria, Antioch, some of the stuff going on was in the east. The Aryan thing was mostly in the east of the church. So the problem became that when this guy, Arius, was kicked out of the church in Alexandria, he had a bishop of Nicomedia, where the palace was, who was 
kind of on his side, at least gave him a pretty good hearing. Okay? So Arius, he couldn't send a text or whatever, but Arius gets a hold of his buddy, and I can't remember, I think, he, I think it was Eusebius. Eusebius was one of the earliest Christian historians, but he was a little shaky early on where he was at doctrinally. So Arius gets on the phone and gets a hold of Eusebius, and he says, um, Andrew threw me out down here for my ideas, and so could you, you know, you're powerful, you're you're one of the four biggies as far as churches. Can you come to my aid? So Eusebius, he throws in with Arius, and he says Arius is not a bad guy after all, and this guy, Eusebius, has a lot of influence. And so he says he needs to be reinstated. And so on the strength of this Eusebius being a bishop saying I'm I'm a bigger bishop than than the bishop that fired my buddy Arius you take him back he has to come back and so he did Arius goes back to Alexandria well this doesn't even sound Christian but so when he gets back and he goes to Alexandria there were riots in the streets okay um, I mean, here, here's, this, is, this is three, by now, this is 318, okay? Fifteen years ago, they were being fed to the lions, all kinds of stuff, and that had stopped. And in 15 years, they're to the point that they're now, the Christian kingdom is divided up into who the big mega church pastors are and who are the mega bishops, and to the point that it does tell you how Christianity spread. Everybody, and, and how thin it was, everybody's a Christian, okay? So um, the, even the Orthodox people who were right not to want Arius to come back, but to riot in the streets, um, that's not too good. So anyway, because you have then political and social upheaval over doctrinal issues in the church, Constantine, the emperor, has to get involved. Okay? Now, Constantine himself wasn't too concerned with what Arius was talking about. Because I will tell you this, the Greek words we don't have to get into, but the Greek words um, vary with on one, one letter, I, an iota. Okay? Um, but... Arius used the word similar, and the Orthodox people, including the bishop in Alexandria, and his associate Athanasius, remember that name, used the word same. The only difference in the Greek word is the letter iota, or I. So the argument was over, is Jesus the same as or similar to deity? Well, Constantine didn't really get it, and he thought, well, they're just quarreling over something, but it's causing trouble. So Constantine, to settle social and even economic, because they were boycotting each other, to settle issues that were really political, 
we're going to have to have a church council. I don't want this settled. He made the point, division, lack of unity in the kingdom over this kind of stuff is worse than being attacked by an invading army. So we can't tolerate it. So he calls a council in a place called Nicaea, not very far from Constantinople, Nicomedia, where the palace was. So this is the first time ever that a Christian council settling a doctrinal question, biblical question, was called into session by a, yes, he was a professing Christian, but the head of the state. Um, It began to show a wedding of state and church which was not to bear good fruit down the road. But at any rate, so for totally non-doctrinal reasons, and, and spiritual reason, Constantine says, we're going to have a council, and they called that, it ended up being called in 325 in Nicaea, okay? Now, they discussed other issues, but the main thing was this deal with Arius. Um, Arius was, you know, called in for a hearing, and I can't remember, I, I forgot to look it up. I think there were 218 bishops there, something like that. And... They heard him out. It was pretty straightforward. All but two of the bishops says, you know, you're, you're a heretic. You're out. Um, so they all signed a statement that Arius is out, but they stayed there and hammered out the Nicene Creed that is still used in many churches um, and recited and so forth. It's much longer than the Apostles' Creed, so it doesn't get used as much, but, but it is used yet today, okay? Um, so what I need to, let, let's go ahead and look at what I passed out here. Um, <clears throat> And I think we'll just look first at traditional wording. We can understand it. It's not that far off um, from modern. But um, I want to just quickly look at the phrases in here that were shooting at Arianism. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. So there's nothing you know controversial there. That's pretty much the Apostles' Creed. And in one... Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. <laughs> they're, they're making their point. <laughs> begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Okay? That whole phrase then, uh, and what their point was, they, they said, we have to come up with a statement that will put a nail, final nail in the coffin of Arianism and stop it. Okay? Um, I'll tell you the one thing I like about reading some of these old things was um, maybe sometimes they were a little bit harsh with each other but they weren't worried about people's feelings 
They were worried about truth. Period. If it bugged you, you better get over it. Or we'll banish you. <laughs> um, that's another thing which did come in with this wedding of church and state. The state had the power to punish. Okay? No more was it merely the church saying, you can't preach anymore, or you know, we're taking name off the roll, or whatever. You now have the emperor backing up the church's decision, you're a heretic, you're out, and now you've got the emperor saying, you know, you get out of the boundaries of the Roman Empire. You go to Genghis Khan somewhere um, in East China. Um, so that became really dangerous quickly, okay? Now, but anyway, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost in the vir of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, sitteth on the right hand of the Father, shall come again with glory to judge, judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who, who spake by the prophets, meaning still the Holy Spirit. And I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Let me say something real quick. I've had people even in, the, in our congregation here who we, when we have recently um, introduced back into... Um, uh, the services every so often, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in one holy Catholic church. Well, usually what we put on the screen says universal, not Catholic. But Catholic doesn't mean Roman Catholic. There are people who think, I've had people say, I don't like that part of the Apostles' Creed, some Catholics. It's not Roman Catholic. Catholic simply means um, universal. That's all it means. Um, we believe in a universal church. There is a universal church. All Christians around the world that we can't see, but God does. That's the universal church. Okay? So, um, but because so many people don't understand that, in fact, John Wesley, founder of the Methodists, who, you know, was in the 1700s, was a then seriously with a, no questions about it, no argument. The Pope was the Antichrist as far as they were concerned. I mean, they just and they they always talked about popish um, myths and um, you know fables and popery <laughs> was what they would use for um, not popery that you you know the is p o p e r y. Popery. I mean, it was just violent against Protestants. But he has a sermon entitled, Having a Catholic Spirit. He meant a magnanimous, accepting spirit of other Christians. He simply said this, if your heart beats as mine, give me your hand. That's, so that's what Catholic means, okay? Little c. Anyway, that's what it means here. 
I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church, meaning following in the teachings of the apostles. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life to come, uh, world to come. Amen. So that, that creed is really, you can see real clear here, the outlines of the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed was the basis for this, but they expanded it to deal with the specific statements that uh, they wanted to, the heresies they wanted to deal with. Now, they also had to deal with, you'll notice here where it says in that second paragraph, and I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of, of life, it should be, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son. Now, there was another heresy that was percolating about the same time, less um, popular, but nevertheless a serious one, still had to do with the, not only with the Holy Spirit, but also with the Trinity in general, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Okay? It, one of the major reasons Eastern Orthodox to this day are, and Eastern Orthodox encompasses Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, whoever, just the Eastern, okay? The Eastern Church to this day believes that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, but not from the Son, which diminishes the Son in the equality of the Trinity. Now that one gets to where, you know, but Jesus made the statement when he, in John 14, 15, 16, when he's talking about the, another comforter is coming, he says, I will send, I will send to you the Spirit um, who proceedeth from the Father. But also, he says, I will send him. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and they were asking, what is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit? He said, Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, shed forth this that you see and hear. He's poured out the Holy Spirit into your heart. So there's solid ground to believe the Holy Spirit proceeds from both Father and Son. Okay? Again, they're co-equal, co-eternal, co-essential. Um, I don't know what was wrong with the Eastern Orthodox, but they, they just were, um, they thought differently um, in some sense. So that was one of the doctrines, um, even in the 300s, that kind of stuck in the craw of the Eastern Christians. They hadn't split yet. But that was an issue. Um, okay, now, after the Arian, after the Nicene Creed, which was in 325, um, major, major council, then all problems were solved. Okay? Um, the Arian fight went raged for 50 more years okay this this didn't settle it now you might think um that kind of stuff doesn't happen it listen it happened in the bible the acts 15 first church council held 
on the question, do we make Gentile believers adhere to all the Jewish ceremonial rituals and laws as they come into the Christian church or not? The decision was unanimous. No. The Old Testament um, ceremony, ceremonial uncleanness and rituals and all is over. Jesus has fulfilled it. We're now all Gentile, Jew, slave, free, it doesn't matter. We are all saved by Jesus, not by all the ritual ceremonies of, of Judaism. And so you think, sol solved it. They wrote a letter. James was the bishop, the leader. He said, it seems good unto us and unto the Holy Spirit to tell you only do this. Don't commit adultery. Try to not kill people. Um, don't participate in all the sacrifices and so forth that, that go on. Um, there was one more, I can't remember. But at any, what was it? Anybody? Yes. Yeah, don't eat blood, which, which was part of the pagan rituals that they would do. To, anyway, they said, other than that, we'll leave you alone. Um, here Paul, then at the end of his third missionary journey, which was years later, he gets assaulted in the temple because a bunch of Jewish people are saying, Paul's going around telling all these Gentile Christians that they don't have to keep the law. They settled that, we thought. But that doesn't shut people up who are belligerent and arrogant and think they know what they're talking about when they don't. So they kept going. Well, it ended up getting Paul arrested and he never got out, really, of Roman in chains until he was finally beheaded. Um, and so you have you, a council that is settled even unanimously it doesn't seem to settle stuff. And the Arian controversy specifically um, did not go away. And uh, Arius had a tremendous amount of followers. And here's one of the interesting things, too. I tell you, the devil always does this most of the time. Um, Arius was, um, he was a cool dude. Okay? He was flashy. He was an extremely good speaker, we're told. He also figured out a way, he was a PR guy. He would have been a good carnival barker. He figured out ways to get little um, snippets of his doctrine, and he set them to jingles. I mean, he should have been, he was born too far ahead, uh, before the TV days. Um, we can, you know, you, you can, we could play some music in here today that's used in TV jingles, and we recognize that's Burger King or that's McDonald's or whatever it is. That's what he did. And um, historians say it wasn't long before, I mean, merchant people in the marketplace and farmers, you know, out hoeing in the garden, they're singing these, these little jingles are going through their mind of Arius' doctrines. So he was a master kind of, um, you know, what is it, Madison Avenue, salesman. So it was very popular. Second thing, it was pretty close to paganism because they had a superior god who had all kinds of little demigods. 
That fit in with their thinking. They, yeah, I get that. Um, so it caught on. It was a tough thing to deal with. And um, it is, Arianism is alive um, today. Never, it may have waxed and waned, I don't know, but it's alive today. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are Arians. They say Jesus is not God, but he is the highest creation of God. They're Arians. So that never got stamped out. Um, Athanasius, I mentioned him. Athanasius was an associate, a young pastor under the bishop in Alexandria who threw Arius out in the first place. Well, he kind of supplied material and coached his bishop uh, superior in the debate in Nicaea and helped um, theologically, um, you know, vanquish Arius, okay? Um, Athanasius went on shortly after this happened, Shortly after the Council of Nicaea, Athanasius became bishop over Alexandria at 33 years of age. And he was there until he was in his 80s. Okay? He was banished, and he was on the right side. But he was banished and then allowed to come back to Alexandria five times. And why? Because you had the emperor involved. Now, Constantine died in 330-something, okay? So by the time Athanasius was 80, they were on, I don't know, which, how many emperors after Constantine? Uh, one, now I can't remember his name, started with a T. Um, at any rate, he, he passed an edict um, that went further than the one back 313 that said Christians are permitted, he, he passed, um, made an edict that you had to worship Christ or the entire power of the state was on you to either banish you, kill you, take your business, take your house, you know, whatever else, okay? So the real church, uh, real date of Christianity be becoming the uh, Roman Empire's official religion was up in the three, I think it was the 370s somewhere. So, um, but at any rate, with the different emperors and the different, one historian put it this way, said the court in Constantinople was overrun with what would, we would today call them lobbyists. Lobbyists of different cities, churches, bishoprics, um, pushing their causes. And if you can get the government to take your side and you know, quash the bishop in Alexandria from having too much influence, because you're the bishop of Antioch, you know, that's what you do. Athanasius then, who never changed sides, was a, he, they, they told him at one point, 
And this phrase has gone, come clear down to today. They told him, Athanasius, whole world's against you. Then he made the says that Athanasius is against the whole world. That little statement still lives today that he said. So he always was, he stuck with the, the truth. But uh, buddies of Arius or Arius's people down through the years would get to some, you know, may not even been the emperor. Maybe the guy that's governor over Alexandria. And they would, you know, throw him out of his church and send him into the Arabian desert. And then after three or four years, Athanasius's people might get the ear of somebody and they, he was not treated right. Yeah, okay. And so they bring him back. And that happened to him five times in his lifetime. Um, that's that's what happened once you get the church able to get enlist the state to um, enforce its thinking, okay? Um, not good. Now, if I were alive then, I'm sure I would have been thanking the Lord that persecution quit and we got a Christian emperor. I don't think it'd be bad to be thankful. But there's an upside and there's a downside um, for that kind of stuff. Okay? Now, so Arius, that was a huge um, threat, let's say, to Orthodox Christianity. It was a real wound to Christianity. And as I said, it lasted for, um, as far as a real turbulent issue, nearly 50 years. Okay? Now, um, Along with that, there were, there were other issues going on. Um, there was a, about three more, we won't spend much time on them, but three more that are serious enough to mention on who this question of not quite so much the Trinity, but Jesus and his incarnation. How could he be fully human, fully um, God? And every one of them erred on one side or the other. That's probably the simplest way to look at it. But there was a guy, um, Apollinarian, Apollinarian heresy, Apollinarius was his name. Um, and he, he was from Antioch. He was a bishop there. He um, emphasized the humanness of Jesus at the expense of his deity. Okay? So he got... Um, hauled in, but you know, they had a council, and this was in 381 by this time. Um, they condemned Apollinarianism um, and exiled him, and Apollinarianism never got the, the traction that uh, Arianism got, um, but and you know something that's, that I want to throw in here real quick that always um, I'm reminded of? One of the main historians, there's a couple, three, uh, at least two. Um, I've got a history written by a guy. It says history, church history for lay people. And um, it's a condensed, it's, it's a good book to kind of cut through a lot of the weeds. Um, but then there's a guy named Philip Schaff, and he wrote like what? I think a 12-volume um, 
history that I've got. And then there was a guy um, by the name of Latourette that wrote a big, fat, two-volume history that was our textbook, main textbook, in seminary. Um, both of those guys emphasize, uh, those two big historians, emphasize that in much of these doctrinal issues, it was the bishops and the scholars doing all the arguing and going to the big councils and hanging out with the emperor. But that it was the, we could say they didn't have pews, but it was the people in the pews that never bought it, never bought the heresies. The lay people, I'm talking about the, just the plain, run-of-the-mill, working people didn't understand all the Greek terms and all the fighting, but they just knew this. I don't feel good praying to somebody that's not fully God. Okay? The truth of the matter was then that um, the bishops would have probably been mobbed by the lay people if they came back from the council not having decided on the right side. Um, I don't want to pick on you know, pastors too much um, for obvious reasons. But um, there's never disregard the, what, the heart feeling of people of God who may not know all the terminologies and all that, but they know God. And they have the childlike faith that carries them through. So it's interesting that in all of these, um, yes, God raised up some great Athanasius and people like that, but frankly, it was the common people who loved Jesus and maybe didn't sit around, you know, as they were uh, hoeing their garden, worrying too much about the Holy Spirit proceeding from both the Father and the Son. They just knew he was God. And when he checked their heart to listen to him, okay? So uh, that's, that's a backdrop to all of this, is thank God for good, faithful, solid, unmovable, unperturbable lay people. That's kept them through these kinds of days. Um, this Apollinarius, they took care of him. Um, then there was a guy named Nestorius. Now, Nestorius... Um, he, this really gets in the weeds, and so it's a good thing that we've not got much time. It's important, though. But they begin to argue over whether Christ, while on earth, incarnate, had one nature or two. Was he, did he have a fully human nature? that the, his divine nature was either laid aside and he became fully a man or was he fully divine and barely had a natural nature, uh, human nature, or was he somehow a perfect union of both and, and had two natures, okay? Now, that's another thing that nobody's sitting around worrying about. Um, However, you have to deal with it when some half-baked guy somewhere starts preaching and teaching that Jesus 
didn't have a fully, his divine nature he left in heaven and he came here and he was to be fully human. But you rob him of deity. That still comes back to the similar kinds of heresies. Um, but Nestorius, um, his, his thing was that he, he ate away at the foundation of the, of the deity of Christ, they think. Now, he's a parentheses around him as a heretic because to this day, here's what got him into trouble. This is in the threes, late threes, um, early fours. He refused, he spoke out against a term that we today, every one of us, I would think, have heard. He objected to using the term, the, the, the description of Mary as mother of God. Well, I do too. In the way it's meant. Okay? Um, John Paul II, recent pope, called Mary Christ's, and I'm making, not making this up, Jesus Christ's co-redeematrix. That's feminine for redeemer. Okay? That she was virtually on an equal footing with Jesus. He's redeemer. She's a redeematrix. But that her prayers, prayers to her, through her, to Christ, um, elevated her almost to equality with Jesus. Okay? Not to get too far off the subject, but um, what's a good argument against that? From, the, from Scripture. Can you think of a way to argue against that? I won't wait too long because we've we got to get going. She's not part of the Trinity. Okay, that's a pretty good... <laughs> Um, Mary was present, named as being present in the upper room after the resurrection, waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? What does that mean? It means, first of all, that at some point she had to put personal faith in Jesus, who was her physical son, as the Redeemer of the world. So she had to be a believer to be in the upper room. And what was she waiting for in the upper room? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which purified her heart, which meant she was depraved from birth. Okay? The idea of Mary's immaculate conception that she didn't have a sinful nature so she could carry the, the Christ is not true. Because Peter said about everybody that was in the upper room and Mary was named as being there. Our hearts were purified by faith. You don't get your heart purified unless you got something dirty in it. Okay? So all of this Mariolatry um, is false. Now, Nestorius spoke against that. It was a rising thing early. And he spoke against it. Well, they, they 
blamed, they said, you're denying the deity of Christ. He claimed he didn't do that. It was never settled real well. But he also was um, slandered to the then emperor um, by people who didn't like him. And so he was exiled. Now Nestorius ended up going to the east and that was in the early fours. And as late as the 800s, Nestorianism, um, there were a lot of Nestorian churches in India and in China, um, large believers. In most recent, I would say it would be just prior to um, Bush 41's Iraq war, there were tens of thousands of Nestorian Christians in Iraq. Um, and some of these, some of the best church historians aren't so sure he was a heretic. Wonder if he didn't get labeled a heretic by being misrepresented what, what he was saying, the core of what he was saying, that we shouldn't elevate Mary, uh, he's right. So who knows on that one. But he's considered still, you put him in the category because it caused another blow up. Um, okay, this is the last one and then we'll quit. Um, there was one more council. By the way, this Nestorian thing, whatever they thought he was saying, they had another council. That's the Council of Ephesus in 431. Um, and they settled um, against Nestorian and or Nestorius and sent him away. The last one is not far after that. It's kind of similar. It's called um, the Monophysite. You don't have to write that down. Um, heresy and that was um, that Jesus only had one uh, one nature not two um, the orthodox belief is it to be fully man and fully God or as we as this says very man and very God in all aspects human in all aspects divine you have to have two natures he was divine fully man fully if he wasn't fully man, he can't really suffer for us, represent us as a high priest because he he's, he's not one of us, okay? Um, if he's not fully divine and have a divine nature, he can't help me. Um, so monophysite was just, it's mono, one, that he only had one nature, and that was um, settled. Council of Chalcedon, 451, okay? Um, now, let me just wrap up with this. There are still more um, heresies to come in right about the same time. I think it might have even be, been in this Council of Ephesus 431. When they got together, they didn't only meet, deal with one issue because they always had more than one. Um, there was a real big one that um, also I think was dealt with at 431, I'm not sure, but a couple of councils. And that was called the Pelagian heresy, okay? Now that's an important one, too. Um, it's a big one. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at that um, next time. 
In the meantime, we'll also look at, as a backdrop, with all of this newfound riches, power, influence, megachurches, um, they, the, the, here's what, the, the bishops used to just be pastors, okay? And the word bishop, the Greek word for bishop just means shepherd, overseer, okay? But they began to elevate the word bishop, and then that wasn't good enough, so they elevated it to archbishop, okay? And then it became patriarch, and that, that got, I don't even remember when, but that got replaced with cardinal, and then you end up with the Bishop of Rome, um, Pope, okay? So with the name changes, reflects rising um, ascribing of power to them, including the power to forgive sins, to prescribe penance to people, to earn time off in purgatory. Um, but the power... The, they began to assume spiritual power, the notion of confessing to the priest, uh, and he can absolve your sins. Um, that begins, begins to develop during these days, okay? Um, <clears throat> and against it, there were other movements going on. The primary one was monasticism. And it got going in the 300s, even to some degree a little bit in the 200s, where people thought the church is getting too worldly. We need to withdraw from the world and go, you know, go up in some cave somewhere and live out the rest of our lives there just doing nothing but reading Scripture and praying all day, and, you know, um, which that was a mistake. Um, and they also got into the, the whole rise, we could say a bigger word, it's asceticism, A-E- what is it, S-C-E, anyway. But it's um, curbing and punishing and crimping of the body, okay? They started in, in the 200s, late 200s, speaking in favor of ministers being celibate because, um, you, and they would, they, it took a while, but marriage wasn't that good, you weren't, you know, and... Um, they, they just, they just kept diminishing um, any pleasures of the uh, eating. I mean, sleeping. Just, just the normal things. Um, curb that. It's not godly, and you don't. You're not godly if you um, have normal pleasure of, of eating, of, you know, buying. I won't even tell how many half gallons. Well, there aren't half gallons anymore. They don't give you a half gallon of ice cream, which I'm against. Um, but, you know, they're on sale, and so you got to get three or four of them. Um, but anyway, that's sin. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it at ice cream cafe. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, it just got weird. And so you always, you, you, got, you got half the church going um, rich, gilded, whatever. And as a reaction to that, you go clear the other way. And the more sour and glum, you know, you can be and gloomy, the more godly. And that's all we've done 
It's a wonder. It's a wonder God got anything done. It's a wonder that 2,000 years later, we're still here. And the truth is still here. It's God. Only a divine institution could last. Okay. Um, that's kind of what we'll do um, next week is look at um, continued. We'll get into uh, St. Augustine in the 400s too. He was a major, major, major um, shifter um, in theology in the uh, whole of the church, including Catholic and Protestant. But anyway, so that's what we'll try to get into next week. Okay, we got to quit. Um, let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll pray and be dismissed. Father in heaven, once again, we're amazed at how you managed to keep the flame alive and steer through all of the shoals and reefs um, that the church could have been wrecked by. We thank you, Lord, that you've kept the truth through all of these kinds of things. So we thank you. Bless us as we go and keep us safe, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.